Hey gang, Rick Lee James here welcoming you back to another episode of Voices in My Head. I want you to know that I appreciate all of you who listen to this show week after week and all the new listeners that you bring along with you. Podcasts like this don't grow without word of mouth and I want to say thanks. Every time you share one of my links on Facebook, every time you leave a positive iTunes review, every time you like one of my YouTube videos, and every time you refer someone to my website at rickleejames.com, it helps this podcast to grow. And I really appreciate those of you who have spent some of your hard-earned money to help cover expenses for this podcast. To all of you, let me say thanks. I've got the best listeners of any podcast on the internet. And if you've been wondering how you can help, well, there's multiple ways. You can go to rickleejames.com. You can click on the tab that says Tip Jar and Sponsorship. And if you have a couple dollars, swing it our way. There's no minimum to give, and every penny helps to cover expenses. Or if you can't afford any money, maybe you can afford 60 seconds of your time. You can drop by the iTunes page and leave a review or click like on the Voices in My Head Facebook page and become a part of our community there. Again, I just want to say thank you. And thank you to all of you who in the future are going to be helping out with this show. And thank you for listening. It's a real blessing for me to get to share on the Voices in My Head podcast. If you've enjoyed the guests we've had in the past, well, just hold on because you haven't seen anything yet. We've got some great shows in the future. God bless you and enjoy today's episode of Voices in My Head, the official podcast of Rick Lee James. God bless. Live from Springfield, Ohio, it's Voices in My Head, the official podcast of Rick Lee James. I am Rick Lee James and you're listening to Voices in My Head. Hey, was that funny? I don't know if it was funny or not. That was my Donald Duck impression. I uh, babysat for like a two-year-old and a five-year-old last night, and they seemed to like it pretty well, so I figured, hey, let's try it out on the Voices in My Head audience, because you are beautiful. That was beautiful. I don't know if you can understand me. Nobody can ever understand Donald Duck, but hey, I'm actually recording this on Halloween night, so how appropriate that I would be recording this wearing my Donald Duck costume. If I was actually doing that, I'm not, I promise. I'm wearing a sweatshirt and a pair of jeans sitting here in my house slippers. So, um, I don't know, this is starting off really weird, folks. I don't understand why I'm going the way that I'm going. It seems like the whole world is, uh, is changing around us. Uh, you know, Disney just announced that they're buying Lucasfilm and Star Wars is, episode seven is going to come out 2015, the same time as the Avengers. I don't know what I think about all this. I got to tell you, I don't know if Mickey Mouse is going to make a guest appearance in uh, the new Star Wars movie or what. But hey, you know, Lucas ruined my childhood before with episodes 1 through 3, so maybe they can do it again with uh, 7 through 9. Anyway, episode 44, let's get down to why we're here today. Episode 44, Voices in My Head. I'm Rick Lee James, your host on this crazy wild journey. Today we have a good friend. Matt Litton, a new friend, and I really appreciated getting to talk with him and just share about his new book, Holy Nomad. It's a wonderful book, and we're going to have an entire conversation about it where you're going to get to hear more about it later. I encourage you to buy this book and check it out, especially if you're a person who is kind of in the, the midst of a spiritual journey and, and kind of wondering 
maybe what the next step is. Maybe the trappings of religion that you're used to are just kind of not seeming enough. Um, he has a, a lot to say, and I don't want to give away too much right now because we talk about it in the conversation. So real quick, I'm going to give a couple announcements. We're going to do question of the week, and then we're going to get right into my conversation with Matt Litton. Uh, first off, I want to remind you that the live DVD is coming. This week, the exciting thing for me was I got to hear the entire concert uh, all the audio of it uh, that I recorded back at the Clifton Opera House just a little over a month ago, and it sounds great. It's almost ready to be mastered. Uh, there's just a couple things in the mix we're trying to, to tweak right now, um, but it's so exciting for me, um, starting to see it all come together. So I don't know. Um, I would love to see it out by Christmas, but I'm thinking realistically because it takes time to uh, to get things out there, uh, maybe early next year. Hopefully, hopefully not later than that. But we'll see my first live album and DVD, Basement Psalms Live. Um, also, want to remind you um, that you, as you heard at the beginning of the show, you can still give donations to the show if you go to rickleyjames.com and click on where it says tip jar and sponsorship. And uh, it comes out to something like $11 an episode for the podcast if I was going to take how much it costs for a complete year uh, with all of the, the costs that I have to pay to have a podcast and have it all up on a website and everything that goes with that. Uh, that actually might be cheap compared to what I have to pay sometimes. But if you like the podcast and want to keep it going, please uh, feel free to donate. Maybe that could be your Christmas present to me this year. But if you don't have any money... And and you'd still like to do something for the show, please feel free to go to iTunes and leave a review, preferably positive, but, you know, let us know actually what you think. We don't want anybody to lie. If you don't like the show, then, well, I don't know why you're listening right now. But uh, if you do enjoy it, then I encourage you to go over to iTunes, type in Voices in My Head, and look it up, and you'll find me and all of our episodes. And this is the 44th episode, uh, and we are heading towards... 50 rather quickly so if you want us to keep going please leave us some itunes reviews it's been a couple months since we got any so i want to hear that you're still listening out there people um but leading up to episode number 50 uh, i wanted to tell you that uh we've been announcing this for a couple weeks now uh we're going to hopefully have a very special listener call-in show i finally started to hear back from some listeners this week who are interested in being a part of this show what we're going to do is on december 14th at 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time, um, you can call in on my Skype line, which I'm going to give the number out for the first time on the show today, uh, 937-523-0542. And um, you can actually uh, talk through there, or if you use Skype at home, you can, ty you can uh, type in my username, which is simply Rick Lee James. And that night, I will approve you as a guest on the show, and in turn, we will have call-in guests, and you actually get to be the voices in my head that week. So I'm pretty excited about that. I'm also excited because by the time the next podcast comes out, I think the elections will be over, and... Uh, We'll either have a Christian president that we have now that everybody thinks is a Muslim, or uh, we'll have a Mormon president, which everybody thinks is a Christian. So I don't know. Uh, it's kind of funny how it all works out. Don't really care. Um, you know, God's in control of everything. I'm not really worried about who the next president's going to be. Um, I'll let other people worry about that. Jesus says not to worry, so I'm not worried. Um, what else? I can't think of any other announcements right now, so I'm just going to go on to that ever-popular segment of the show, Question of the Week. Question of the Week. 
All right. You know why I just mentioned elections a second ago? I almost forgot. Sorry. Quick delay before we get to question of the week. Because uh, next week on election day, I believe it starts at 730. I'm going to be at the Vineyard Church here in Springfield. You can look up the address at rickleyjames.com. We're doing an election day communion service. And uh, it's not really a political thing, I promise. Uh, except for that we're celebrating the politics of the kingdom of God, which far transcends the demonic politics of this world uh, into something that actually unites us and unites us under the body of Christ. So if you want to come share communion with us, I'm going to be leading some worship music at the Vineyard Church here in Springfield, Ohio, next week on Election Day. Go to rickleyjames.com for more details. All right, with that being said, we're going to get into question of the week. This week uh, actually is inspired. The question was uh, was Matt Litton, my guest, who you're going to hear from in just a few minutes. And the question was, because his book is Holy Nomad, the uh, question is, who is your favorite nomad-type character from literature or film? Tell us why. Well, Steve Green, good to hear from you again, Steve. He wrote in, I don't know if this would count as film, but the short-lived 1969-70 to 70 TV series, and then came Bronson, comes to mind. Bronson, a newspaper man, disillusioned and tired of working for the man, wandered the country on a 69 Harley-Davidson Sportster on a journey of self-discovery. Each episode found him arriving at a crucial moment of someone's life, giving him opportunity to bring about positive change in that life. There was no overtone of religious faith, but was a surprisingly positive and morally upright program. You know, I have never heard of that show, uh, at least that I can recall, but it sounds really good. So maybe I'll have to look it up and see if they have it on Amazon Prime or something. Thanks, Steve. That sounds like a, a good show. Good recommendation. Gregory Dean Boyles, a past podcast guest, wrote in, and I got to say, I love his answer. He says, I have to say Jaber Crow from Wendell Berry's book by the same name, Jaber Crow, The Life Story of Jaber Crow, Barber of the Port William Membership, as written by himself. Um, that last part is in parentheses, I believe, or it's the subtitle, but um, he says, I find Jaber to be rich and transforming as I encounter him. His story is one in which he wanders away from home, only to find that his wandering is a pilgrimage in which he is called and longs to sink deep into his roots rather than to go far from them. And I have to say, I have read that book. I don't have a copy for myself, so if you really want to get me a Christmas present, listeners, uh, Jaber Crow by Wendell Berry. It's one of my all-time favorite books. Oh, it's so good. Um, I checked it out from the library. I have reread it several times, but still don't have a copy for myself. But I have to say, it's one of the most beautifully written books. just has a perfect ending, and I say something like that uh, on a comment to Greg after he mentioned that perfect, perfect story about a nomad, beautifully written. Um, if you've never read Wendell Berry, you would do yourself a favor to pick up a book by him, uh, probably more than one, actually, because he's a great writer, has a lot of great things to say to us, especially in this time we're living in where we're all addicted to technology, like podcasts, for instance. All right, next answer we have is Ryan Hammond, and he simply says, Old Ben Obi-Wan Kenobi from Star Wars A New Hope. One word, the Force. Good choice, Ryan. I guess he was kind of a nomad, wasn't he, when he was traveling around. 
Uh, and then we have uh, Jonathan Reynolds. Man, first time I think that Jonathan has written in. I have not seen Jonathan in many, many years, and I appreciate you writing in, Jonathan. Great to hear from you. Um, he says, another of my favorites, Gandalf. He travels all over Middle Earth fighting evil, but still makes time to kick it with his hobbit friends in the Shire. <laughs> awesome answer. I'm really glad that that movie, well, actually three movies are just about to come out. I think they're releasing one at a time, though. So, let's see, 2012, 2013, 2015. So that means 2015 is going to bring a new Star Wars movie, a new Avengers movie, and a new Hobbit movie. Uh, and I believe they have scheduled a Justice League movie as well, so could be a great year. Anyway, moving on, I think we have one more answer. I'll check one other spot to make sure, but um, Matthew Cole wrote in, and uh, still, I don't think he's missed a question uh, yet. Uh, we'll see how it goes as we go on from here, but 44 episodes and just as many answers, I think. Well, Tolly Mars from Tales from Margaritaville by Jimmy Buffett. He is a great reminder that sometimes one just needs to follow that urge to wander from a good existence to a great life. Yeah, very interesting. Matt, you have recommended those Jimmy Buffett books to me many times. I like Jimmy Buffett's music, and I know you're a big fan of his as well. Uh, but I understand from Matt that uh, he's actually a very good writer. So, um, yeah. Well, thanks, everybody, for answering question of the week this week. It's been great. I'm not quite sure what the question of the week will be next week, so watch whenever this podcast comes out. As far as I know, my guest will be Stephen Mansfield, author of The Mormonizing of America. Stephen Mansfield has written a lot of books, and I'm excited to have him on next week's show. It's going to be a neat conversation. He has a new book about Abraham Lincoln that's coming out and corresponding with the new Abraham Lincoln movie that Steven Spielberg has made, so I'm excited to be able to spend time with a New York Times best-selling author next week here on Voices in My Head. You know what? I uh, actually missed a couple questions here. Um, I mean, answers to the question of the week. I need to actually cover that before uh, I move on. We're not quite done. Sorry, I went off into talking about next week's guest, Stephen Mansfield. Uh, we actually had an answer from David Sanders. Um, his answer to question of the week, who is your favorite nomad-type character? It was Gandalf, Aragorn, uh, which he has in parentheses, a Strider, or better yet, Baron from Tolkien's Cimmerillion, or Turin Turambar from The Children of Hurin, uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Kwai Chang Kang from Kung Fu, David Banner in the old Incredible Hulk TV series, I suppose Don Quixote, Huck Finn, and Jean Valjean were all nomads in a sense, Dr. Samuel Beckett from Quantum Leap, Kevin Costner's played a lot of memorable nomadic characters, Dances with Wolves, Waterworld, the postman but i think my favorite is the one from the bodyguard and then there's that jesus of nazareth guy he was pretty rad i think he's been in a few films maybe even done a cameo or two on south park so uh gosh i guess dave doesn't know what it means um who is your favorite like picking one uh but he picked a lot, so he had a lot there. And then we had another uh, late arrival yesterday. Uh, Ken Dixon uh, wrote in Wyatt and Billy, an easy writer. Shane in the movie Shane. And the man with no name, Clint Eastwood in Sergio Leone's Spaghetti Westerns. Good call on those. Um, great choices, guys. I appreciate you writing in. And now uh, this has been Question of the Week. Question of the Week. 
Well, I told you earlier that I went on a journey a couple weeks ago down to Cincinnati to spend some time at Matt Litton's home. And we sat on the back porch and we talked about his latest book, Holy Nomad. And the only problem with that interview, it went exceptionally well, except when I listened to the recording of the interview, and it was probably about 45 minutes long, um, I didn't realize that the wind was blowing as much as it was, and there was only about 50% of that interview that could actually be heard. And so I talked to Matt, and I said, you know, I could play this interview that, you know, I was planning on playing, but it's really like bad sound quality. I mean, the conversation is great, and it was great to sit face-to-face, but I just think it would, you know, it's up to you if you want to try it this way. And he said, yeah, I want it to be heard. So uh, what actually has been done, we're having this conversation twice. And so the conversation that you're going to be hearing on today's show is actually the second time we've had this Holy Nomad conversation, taking a little bit different route than we went the first time, because I don't think you can ever reproduce something like that exactly word for word. But I'm very happy to spend time with Matt Litton, whether it was in person or whether it was over Skype like it is right now and on a phone conversation. And uh, his new book, Holy Nomad, is really something you should check out. Uh, Matt is a writer, a teacher, a speaker. He's actually written a book called Mockingbird Parables, um, and it's subtitled um, Transforming Lives Through the Power of Story, uh, where he talks about uh, To Kill a Mockingbird and some parables maybe that come from that. He gave me that book when I was with him, and I'm looking forward to reading it. have not had a chance to yet, but I hope you'll enjoy our conversation about his latest book, Holy Nomad. I hope you'll go buy it because it really is worth reading, especially if you're a person that's kind of finding yourself... Hmm. maybe kind of parched and thirsty in the spiritual landscape right now, thinking there must be more than maybe what we're used to just hearing about all the time um, in our churches and maybe even in pop Christianity, that there is actually something more and that following Jesus, the holy nomad, is going to actually take us on an incredible journey. So enjoy this conversation that we had. It was so good we had to do it twice. And so here is my interview with my friend Matt Litton. My guest this week on Voices in My Head is Matt Litton. Matt is a writer, educator, and speaker. He's written about faith and culture for numerous national publications, including Christianity Today, the Dallas Morning News, the Huffington Post, CNN.com, Religion Blog, and Relevant.com. He's also the author of Mockingbird Parables, Transforming Lives Through the Power of Story, and his latest book, Holy Nomad, The Rugged Road to Joy. Matt Litton, thank you for being my guest today on Voices in My Head. Hey, Rick. How you doing, man? I'm doing really well. And uh, and listeners will know this because I kind of told them a little bit in the pre-show, but this is this was such a good conversation, we had to have it twice today. That's right. Because, That's right. Just <laughs> second take. We were on, on uh, actually live and recorded this conversation once before, and then now we are doing it over Skype because apparently the wind was blowing so bad, you can only hear about half of what we said. But you know what? That's kind of appropriate because... Since we're talking about the holy nomad and wandering today, it's just appropriate that we would be in a various, you know, different settings throughout the conversation. So that's good. So, uh, well, we're going to start today with the question of the week, and we actually got a lot of answers from listeners this week. So, and I honestly don't remember what you said when we had this conversation before. So, your question of the week this week is: 
Who is your favorite nomad type character from literature or film? That's a great question. You know, we the, our culture is fascinated with this idea of nomads and and kind of the kite without a string type of character. Um, I was thinking a little bit about that today, um, trying to name my favorite. I'm a huge Tolkien fan, and so you know, I, 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 there, there's there's several travelers and nomads to choose from in Tolkien, like Strider and even the guy who carries the ring of Frodo. Um, you know, some of my favorite nomads though are I think uh, I think the, the poet Jack Kerouac. Um, he wrote this book called On the Road about this kind of uh, nomadic adventure tearing up and down uh, the, the big American highways. And, and you know, uh, people kind of, I, I think people sell Kerouac short. He was Catholic and he was very, very spiritual. And, and he was writing this book about a spiritual journey. And, and no one's ever kind of caught that. Um, and if, if you listen to people who love the book and scholars that talk about it, um, they, they talk about how spiritual it is. And so he's he's probably... If I had to pick a cultural nomad, he'd, he'd be one of my favorites, I think. Awesome. Well, it's funny because just a couple of weeks ago, I had a friend on that just converted to Catholicism after being a Baptist minister for several years. And uh, so we could we could make a little joke about, you know, they're Catholics, not Christians or whatever. But, you know, we won't do that. So <laughs> Was he just hoping for, for, to have a couple beers or, or what? <laughs> yeah, that was his only his only driving force. No, oh, it's okay. actually it's very interesting. And we, if you want to hear it, you should just go to the podcast because he's got a lot of really fascinating things to say about it. But um, it was very, a very interesting story. But uh, but we want to talk about your story and, and your new book, uh, especially today. I really enjoyed it, and I've had some more time to even think about it since last time we talked. And once again, for listeners, uh, the name of Matt's newest book is Holy Nomad, The Rugged Road to Joy. And you can find out more about it at mattlitton.com, or you can also go to rickleejames.com. And I have a video on my site that will be up by the time this podcast comes up that explains a little bit about the book. So let's go into talking about that a little bit today. And what made you choose the image of a nomad as a way to talk about sort of uh, the, the road to joy? You know, I, I think the, the whole conversation started um, with me writing in my basement. Um, and I ended up writing in my basement because somebody told me that, that you know, um, that, you know, I needed to I needed to work on some certain things or, or, or maybe I should write poetry in my basement. And I, I just kind of have that personality. And I thought, you know, that's a good idea. Um, I'm going to go to the basement and start to write in it. And, and I guess, you know, in, everybody's got an unfinished basement or a storage space or a place like that in my house full of kids and, and, and full of uh, uh, wonderful noise. Um, you know, it, it's kind of hard to find a little quiet area to write in. So I went down there to write, and I started to notice, um, I started to look around and see, you know, uh, some of, some of the, the material things that I pursued that, that maybe I thought would make me happy. They, they end up in that unfinished side of the basement, you know. I remember seeing my dad's salesman of the year, sales, salesman of the year trophy um, down there, and, and you know these these trophies and these banners and these things that we chase after and we collect, and we we believe it's going to bring some kind of meaning to our lives, um, you know. And, and and of course, in my basement, that's where I keep my books, and, and I was sur- you know surrounded by books on religion, um, and, and surrounded by we've we've lost some people in my family. I was surrounded by all that stuff, and I realized you know. Um, my spirituality was kind of stuck, um, and and I was I had been chasing after things and collecting things that that, that were really leaving me joyless. And you know, I kind of started with the question. Um, you know, I grew up in the church, and and I grew up hearing hearing people talk about eternal life. And and you know, as I've gotten older and studied um, 
what Jesus actually says a little bit more. You know, he 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 calls it real life, life to the fullest, mm-hmm. um, and he implies there's there, there's some kind of joy in this experience. And you know, I was looking at my own life at that moment and looking around at the people that I know and even the people I really respect. And I was like, where's the joy? And 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 you know, um, what, where is the movement out of these cells? Um, and so that's kind of where the, the the journey started, just with the question, you know, where is joy? Where do we find this thing that Jesus calls real life, eternal life? Because to me, they're kind of the same thing, you know. Um, C.S. Lewis said that joy is the serious business of heaven. Um, and, and I think, you know, we experience joy when we are when we are seeking things, when we are out, outside of ourselves, our, our, you know, our dead places, seeking things that bring fulfillment to our life. And so that's kind of how the metaphor came about. And, you know, um, there's some things sitting around that basement that meant something to me that kind of led me down this writing journey like a broken antique mirror and, and, and an old painting, too, that, that I don't want to go into, but, but in the book it'll make sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's kind of where it began, this, this search for, you know, what, what, is, what is real life life to the fullest? What does eternal life really mean? Um, because it's got to be more than just a train ticket to heaven. Sure. So that's kind of where I started. And you had mentioned just a moment ago about kind of leaving your cell and and wandering out of your cell, and you talk about um, something called Stockholm syndrome, um, and I, that was kind of a fascinating way to look at this whole idea of not only following the holy nomad who is Christ, but um, actually just becoming a holy nomad. Maybe you could explain a little bit to our listeners. I'm not sure everybody knows exactly what Stockholm syndrome is, but you spend a good bit of time on it in your book. Well, one of the things I realized, and again, you know, I have to emphasize, this isn't a self-help book, um, and, 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 I, and I tell you right off the bat, I'm not the pastor of some Godzilla-sized megachurch, and I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not a, a, a trained theologian, um, I don't teach in the academies, um, and, and this is just kind of an invitation to journey with me, you know, in this search for joy, um, because mm-hmm. I'm a writer, and I'm fascinated with spirituality and, and, and you know, what Jesus means in the world. Um, I think, you know, the Stockholm Syndrome thing hit me because, you know, as I sat there and looked at the things that weigh me down and, and the dead, these dead places in life that aren't fulfilling, um, you know, I kind of realized that, that there's this narrative out there in culture right now um, that we really don't have a choice in, in, in the kind of lives that we, we live, you know, that, that we're kind of victims of our, our, our community, what our community believes. We're we're victims of uh, the way our brain is wired, you know. Uh, uh, we're genetically dis- predisposed to behave certain ways and live out certain patterns. And, and, uh, and you know, when you look through, uh, when you look through the Gospels of Jesus' message, that is just the farthest thing from the truth, you know. He, mm. he says he's come to set the captives free. He talks about bringing, you know, bringing joy uh, to your life, uh, uh, you know, this, this thing called real life, eternal life. And, I, you know, I realize that it's this message to come out of this cell, and, and yet we live our lives uh, uh, with this sense of spiritual Stockholm Syndrome. And Stockholm Syndrome is um, it's a psychological term they, they took from this study. I, there was a bank robbery in the 1970s in, in Sweden, and, and the curious thing about the robbery is after they rescued the hostages, it was a hostage event, and after they rescued the hostages, they found the hostages had these strange attachments to their captors. Um, and I don't know about you, but it's so true in my life. The things that I can be captive to, you know, the, the consumerism and, and, and my religiosity and, and, and my pride and my reputation, all those things, you know, oftentimes uh, I find myself uh, uh, very, feeling very comfortable in those dead places mm. uh, when the truth is we've been freed, you know. 
um, I kind of start the, the, the Holy Nomad with a story about uh, this nomadic traveler coming in uh, to, to, to the cell of a prisoner of war who, who's been captive for years and years and setting him free. But, but, but the curious thing is, he won't leave. Um, you know, and I was talking to somebody about the, 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 the whole idea of spiritual Stockholm the, the other day, and I think it's very biblical, you know, as people of God, if you look back in the biblical narrative in the Exodus, um, you know, God comes along in the Exodus and he picks this guy named uh, Moses, and, and uh, he does like big screen Hollywood kind of uh, miraculous, um, you know, how, it'd be summer blockbuster movie uh, kind of <laughs> miracles, you know, right. parting at sea and plagues and, you know, um, I can't remember the line from Ghostbusters, but Old Testament kind of stuff, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, uh, and, they, and, and, you know, Moses leads these people out of, out of this, you know, horrible oppression, um, and, and they've been free for a month. I mean, the, 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 literally, the scars of slavery are probably still healing on their backs, and they want to stone their leader, Moses, because they're like, you brought us out here in the wilderness to starve. You know, at least back in Egypt, we had a couple of meals here and there and a place to sleep. And, uh, you know, I feel like that's my story a lot of times, and that's our story, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what I'm talking about with spiritual Stockholm Syndrome, that we, 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 we you know, we crave this comfort. And, and, and the problem with this whole thing, though, uh, Rick, is that is a joyless life. Hmm. Uh, you know, that cell, those things, they're dead spaces, you know. Yeah. Um, so, and in and in some ways, it's um, it, it's so much easier to stay in the cell because um, I, it's familiar, and I know I know what you're talking about. I I can I like resonate when I hear you talk about that, and when I read about it in the book, actually. And one thing that I find very interesting, um, I, when when Jesus is talking about like the kingdom of God. And when he's talking about, uh, you know, things that we often interpret in church as just heaven when you die, and you point out in your book, you know, that that's not really necessarily the point, you know, (laughs) that Jesus is actually talking about life abundant and the kingdom of God is in our midst now. And I think sometimes a trap for us in Christianity, like the easiest thing in the world would just be, well, just hold on till the end and uh, and we'll pray for people and, and do that. But Christ actually wants us to be uh, living out the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. And it may be easier to stay in the cell, but it's certainly not more fulfilling when we get out and start actually being uh, in in the midst of the world in the way that God has called us to, you know, and so I I think we all can definitely relate to that whole mindset that you're describing with the cell because I think it's just easier, <laughs> you know, you just yeah, want to stay there. That, that was really one one of the starting places of the book is is you know life is more spirituality is more um, than 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 your eternal destiny. Although I think that starts right here right now. Yeah. Um, you know, I always think of the Foo Fighters song "Come Alive." Yeah, and I think that that's the call. That's the call of you know, and 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 I, I've taken grief for calling Jesus the Holy Nomad throughout the book, mm-hmm. but you know, um, but that's that's that call. I think one of my favorite. It, it's still my one of my favorite scenes in the New Testament is uh, Jesus is out teaching with with his his buddies. You know, these twelve guys, and uh, one of his childhood friends. Um, he gets news that one of his dearest friends, Lazarus, has passed away mm-hmm. or is, is gravely sick, and and. Rather than running home, Jesus says, "You know, you know, we need to. We're not going home right now." And then, you know, finally he finds out that Lazarus has died, and he he, he waits till after Lazarus has died to go home. Uh, but there's this wonderful scene where there's all these people standing around grieving, 
um, and Jesus walks up and he makes this. Uh, it's almost like there's a little bit there's a little bit of WWE in it to me. You know? and <laughs> he walks up to everybody and and he begins to kind of preach. Um, and 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 I think it's about as uh, um, I don't you know it, it's about as preacherly as he gets as far as his miracles go. He he tells everybody he says look. You know, uh, he starts to pray to God so they can all hear, and he said, I'm going to call Lazarus from the grave uh, from his dead place um, so that everybody knows I'm the source of life. Um, and, and I think that that moment right there, you know, um, it, it resonates down through eternity to us. You know, it resonates because of the resurrection. Um, but him calling Lazarus from, from that dead space, from, that, from that, uh, that grave, that's a metaphor that I go back to a lot in the book because, you know, our, our unfinished basements, you know, our cells, our storage spaces, those things we hold on to that are dead, they, they are, they, they, that is our Lazarus space, you know? Mm, yeah. Definitely. And then I always get caught up in that story imagining what, what, what was it like to be Lazarus? What did he hear a whisper through, through that stone? You know, what, what was it like to, to, to walk into to life all of a sudden? And, and, and I think really that's what we believe. That's the call of what we believe. We are coming alive. Mm. Um, so that's, that's a big theme in the book. Yeah, that well, you know, I'm glad that uh, I'm not the only one that finds Jesus in Foo Fighters songs sometimes. So it's it, it's good to hear you do too. <laughs> oh, we love music. We love music. You know, I think you and I were talking last time we were together, and 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 you know, I, if I, I I read you know Christianity Today and some of the uh, some of the more popular um, you know especially online mm-hmm. magazines, and I've read a lot of stuff about you know there's kind of a recession going on in the church right now, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, everybody's into this spirituality without a, without a, a church and faith. And it's funny, as that happens, I think you and I were talking about that I feel like, you know, a lot of our music and popular culture is becoming more and more spiritual. Yeah. Um, I find that pretty interesting. But. Well, yeah, and, and to take that rabbit trail just a little even further, like I can think of numerous, um, like Dave Matthews band songs that have got like I mean they're just blatant Christianity some of them and I don't even think there's any like sort of profession in that but I listen to it and I'm like wow I mean he's he's like mentioning Jesus on the cross and all these <laughs> and it's like wow I, so I think you're right I think it's 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 uh it's calling us from somewhere even if we don't know exactly where the source of it is I think I, I personally see it as you know like God, God's voice is calling, and He's going to do it with or without us, you know. <laughs> and there's that longing there that's pulling to all of us, and it's not just to those of us in a pew, for sure. So. Well, I think you know, you and I, we we, we had some of the same really brilliant professors uh, down south at TNU, and and I think the one, you know, one of the beautiful things that I took from from my religion training is is you know the, this idea that the, the, the secular and the holy. You know that that's a that's a new separation. You know, yeah. I, I I think people of faith grab culture. You know what I mean? And, that, mm-hmm. and that's not important. And I you know uh, Mufford and Sons is a band right now. I know uh, Marcus Mufford, his dad um, was the founding member of the Vineyard in, in England. But but I mean, there's a lot of gospel coming through that music. Sure. You know, and and you know once the words get out there, they can mean they mean different things to different people. I think it's pretty beautiful. Yeah. So, Very true. Well, um, I wanted to ask you a quick question about, um, back to the nomad subject again really quick, because I love how you make a distinction in your book that um, nomads, scripturally anyway, seem to to uh, to get together in a pack, that they're not so much 
the character like we would see maybe you know the lone cowboy like Clint Eastwood going from town to town or maybe not the Mad Max type character um, but a holy nomad actually seems to travel in a group and and I know you mentioned even Jesus himself and the disciples around him but uh, I guess with that and thinking about that how do you think that we can be nomads without running away from responsibility because I really think that that is kind of the wanderlust in culture right now is man if I could just get out on the road and leave it all behind but you're actually talking about something much deeper than just leaving it all behind you're actually talking about uh, being faithful right where you are as well. Yeah, I, you know, one, one of the things that I talk about is, is, is that, that, you know, and, and I make a distinction, you know, our culture is so fascinated with, with, with the idea of, of being a nomad. And, I mean, well, one of my favorite bands was after after the book was done, uh, I just, just recorded a record called American Nomad, the Apache Relay from, from Nashville, and, and mm-hmm. there's nomad. Nomad is everywhere, and so is this idea of the journey, you know, just that, that if life is a journey for you, then that it's somehow meaningful. But, but that's that's just not the truth. And, and I make the distinction between you know living nomadically, which is kind of this kite without a string, moving place to place without responsibility, and being spiritually nomadic. Um, and that means being tied to Jesus. And, and, and you know, of course, the metaphor is the holy nomad in, in, in that that whole thing. But I tell a story that I think really explains it. You know. Um, one of my best friends uh, in the world is a guy named Jason, and he he is an organic farmer um, that works uh, uh, works on First Avenue in Nashville, um, and does some really really neat work in the community. He's a college professor, and my brother is a college professor now. I tell the story of of how when they were younger, they piled into a VW van and they they mapped out this nomadic adventure. They were traveling for the sake of traveling. They were on the journey for the sake of the journey. And, and you know, they, they, they traveled through all the parts of the country, and they camped out in the most beautiful places, and they met these wonderful people and had these wonderful stories, all of which, um, or none of which, was really fulfilling. Um, but their journey, uh, the, the culmination of the journey, they arrived in uh, Los Angeles, and they began to work uh, on Skid Row in Los Angeles at a mission there. Um, and I just kind of talked about all of the travels that they, they went through. Well, those, those just kind of fell empty, but they really discovered joy and fulfillment, that thing that Jesus is talking about, real life, eternal life. When they set themselves, their, their self-interest aside, and they started to serve people, you know, the poor, the hungry, mm-hmm. uh, the drug addicted, um, there at that mission in Skid Row. And, 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 you know, that to me is spiritually nomadic and there's this this beautiful character my wife and I had an opportunity to meet him who ran that mission um, and I kind of hold him up as an example of what it means to be uh, spiritually spiritually nomadic I mean his name was Cedric and he uh, he had dedicated his life to the men at those mission and and, and you know th- this this idea of being spiritually nomadic it, it means that you are tied to nothing um, but Jesus it, it is a very Jesus centered spirituality you know that that you 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 constantly fight for the understanding that I don't gain fulfillment from my consumerism, from from the material things that I can buy, from my status, from my promotion, from from the money that I have, um, you know, even from your relationships and, and from from your religiosity, you know that that and and it's and it's a constant decision and a constant choice to hear that voice, you know, to come out and follow. Um, and and you know, I kind of talk about. Um, I kind of talk about Cedric as, as, as a big example of that, at least in my life, somebody that I, I was able to watch do that. And, and certainly that's a, that's a lesson that Zach and Jason learned. You know, with, with Advent coming up, 
you know, and, and I've been doing some writing about Black Friday that's, 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 that's going to be uh, coming out soon. And, and one of the things that I was thinking, you know, I remember uh, my brother and, and, and Jason coming back to Nashville and telling me the stories of the work and the mission and how meaningful it was. But one story always stuck out to me, and, and it was that, that you know, the, the, the severely drug addicted, you could always identify them because they would wander the sidewalks and they would study the sidewalk cracks intently. Hmm. Um, and, and they were looking for a lost drug. They were hoping for a lost rock, a, a chance at a lost drug, and they would wander the sidewalks for hours doing this. And, and I remember, you know, Jason and Zach describing how bizarre that was. And, you know, I think culture's idea of being nomadic is the equivalent of that. You know, hmm. we are just in search of the next hit. You know, yeah. um, whether whatever it is, and, and and you know, I'm really talking about something completely different. You know, I'm talking about finding our identity in God, um, and and that's a decision. That's a constant decision that we have to make. I think. So. Well, and I think you know it's interesting. You mentioned like the addict, and um, there's quite a few homeless people downtown in the city I live here in Springfield, and uh, there's a coffee shop that. Um, actually, is very good to allow a lot of them to come in, especially in the winter time and stuff when it's real cold. And you know, and um, there's one guy in particular I'm thinking of that I, I think is one of those crack watchers. You know, looking at the ground trying to find whatever. And sometimes he gets really angry. Like he asked me one day if I had a light, and I I thought he was just about gonna fight me. You know, I was like, I don't have a lighter. He's like, nobody has a lighter when you want to smoke. You know, <laughs> he just was getting really mad. And uh, and I was thinking about that and how, um, let's say, for instance, a drug addict, but it doesn't have to be a drug. I mean, it can be any of these things that we're kind of addicted to in life. uh, And and it can be technology. It can be whatever. And and I think about the call of of, uh, the call of the Lord in our life actually pulls us away, I think, from selfishness and actually into what we can do for others. And uh, I, I think when I think about that, just the the really cool way that you described it is the people who are looking at the sidewalk. When those addictions take over, it's it's all about self and what I can get. And and I think Christ frees us, and part of finding that freeman freeness is to invest in others. So I I just I really enjoy that metaphor, and I, I think about it often with people that I meet. So. You know, uh, uh, and, and the listeners can go check this out. I'm sure you have some C.S. Lewis readers, but I love how C.S. Lewis describes joy um, because, you know, you just mentioned pleasure. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think that, that our cultural uh, sentiments about being a nomad, you know, that, that, that no responsibility cut without a string, it's, it, that, that's about pleasure. And that's, that's not what I'm talking about in this book. That's not joy. Right. Um, and and go, go look up what C.S. Lewis says about that because it's pretty beautiful. Hmm. All right. Uh, well, listeners, you got your assignment then. Go go check out the C.S. Lewis stuff. Um, well, I, I want to ask you, too, um, because um, when we're trying to leave ourselves, so to speak, there's often resistance. And any time that we're trying something new, it seems like there's re- resistance to it. And I think even psychologists have talked before about this idea of resistance, and I know that pastors, I know in one of William Willimon's books on pastoring, he talks about when it seems like we're he's starting to get too close to somebody where they live, somebody inevitably starts coughing, or, you know, somebody moves, goes to the bathroom, does whatever, and there's this whole idea that resistance is there, and usually I think our tendency is we want to just run when resistance happens, maybe just go back into the cell, you know, and go on that. And you point out that 
that maybe resistance is a better indication that we're actually on to something good and something we should be pursuing. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I think um, one of the things I'm discovering is that the more pushback you get um, when, when, when you feel led to do something, when you have an idea, when your imagination lights up around something, uh, the more fear connected to that. Um, I'm learning to see that as, 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 as maybe a green light. Um, you know, I, I, I really tiptoe around. I think there's always the danger when we're talking about spirituality to fall into this this idea of the devil made me do it and, you know, on and on and on. And I'm not going there with that, but I do think that there is a real resistance to anything that leads us to joy and fulfillment. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it, I don't know. I, I, I've, uh, I, I know Bono was quoted saying, you know, fear, you know, fear is the opposite of faith. And, and, and I think there is some truth to that. The things that you really have anxiety about that you're afraid of, if you really examine those, and walk towards those things. I think there's meaning in, in those places, you know. And I give, I, you know, I give some 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 funny examples, um, you know, just getting up and talking in front of you know a large crowd of people. I I, I used to just you know, despise the idea of that um, so much so that I would avoid it. And and you know when I finally walked into it, I thought, wow, this is fun, you know. Um, <laughs> after you get through that first minute, it's a great time. And and. And I think a lot of people, you know, uh, one of my favorite writers, if you're a writer or if you're an artist, there's a book out there called The War of Art uh, by Stephen Pressfield. It's just, you would love it as a musician. Yeah. I've he heard it's really, fantastic. Yeah, It is, and he talks about this resistance. And, of course, you know, and he talks about it in very spiritual terms, and he's not um, he's not from our tradition um, necessarily at all, but, but I really found a lot of truth in that. Um, you know that 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 it. This is more of a war than than, than I think uh, uh, we want to realize. And you know, as somebody that that didn't when I dream when I started to think about being a writer several years ago, being a writer about spirituality wasn't on the radar for me. You know, in fact, it was kind of terrifying. Um, and and sitting down and wrestling with this stuff because the this book is 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 narrative because you know I want to invite people into my journey, you know, to kind of share it. Um, and so th- there were some there were some really difficult moments in, in the writing of this book that that um, you know I thought I don't want to write about that that's that's you know that there were red lights and and so you know I would walk in that direction so I've had some very personal experience with this but I mainly just wanted to encourage people to 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 not let fear keep you in the cell I think that's one of the ways that that's one of the things that keeps us there you know even going back to the Exodus those people wanted to they wanted to go back to Egypt because they were afraid they wouldn't you know, they wouldn't have something to eat the next yeah. day uh, rather than trust, rather than trusting God. So, Well, and, and again, it's it it just seems easier at the time. And, and anything worth doing, it seems like, is, is going to ultimately cost us something and require something. But again, that's that's part of where the joy is. You know, there's not... There's not a lot of fulfillment in things that don't cost as much. You know, if, if you have everything given to you, there doesn't seem like there's... Um, a lot of times very much substance behind it, I guess I would say. I guess it kind of feels that way um, when I think about it. So uh, this whole idea of, uh, and, and I love how you're using um, images of people like, and we might as well talk about them a little bit, but people like Kang from from Kung Fu, uh, the old television show, or we have, um, you know, you mentioned people like Indiana Jones with his whip and Frodo and his invisible cloak. And I, I think I especially grasp onto those Tolkien characters when I think about the idea of resistance that you're talking about, because 
Um, and, and especially those Tolkien books, you know, they, these nomads are not wandering alone. You know, they are wandering together and they're meeting resistance. Um, but it's, it's ultimately the only way they can go. It's the only way to be free is to go that direction. So I love how you bring all that about. But you, you do talk about Cain from Kung Fu a little bit. And explain how maybe, uh, maybe that can apply a little bit to the spiritual journey. Yeah, it's it's. I love Kane from Kung Fu. He is such a cool character, and and the show is is campy, but but if you go back and watch it, it's it's kind of meaningful, you know. Yeah. Um. And and I write about Kung Fu not because I have any martial arts training whatsoever, um, and have no desire to have any really, um. But but uh, Kung Fu is one of those things that 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 me and my brother-in-law, and my friends would 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 throw around like, hey, how's your Kung Fu today? Or your Kung Fu today isn't good, you know. <laughs> And it started out just kind of like, you know, how's your, a funny way to say, how's your day? And, and you know, we, when, I, when I was younger, we were big Tarantino fans, and so we would quote those lines at each other when, when we didn't have much else to do. And, and so, you know, he's got a lot of kung fu going on in some of his movies. But, yeah. um, um, you know, I talk about in the book about uh, uh, Kane from Kung Fu came in in, in what I call a crash moment. Um, and, and I guess we could talk about that in, in, in a minute, but... Um, it, it was this moment where I looked around and I thought, uh, in fact, my brother-in-law said to me, you know, you, you know your kung fu is not good. And I said, yeah, you're right, it's not. Um, but it was this mm-hmm. moment of clarity where I realized, hey, these things that I'm out for, you know, these, the, uh, um, my ambitions um, for work or, or the things that, that, that I felt like were going to make me happy, the direction that I was moving, it was not fulfilling, you know. Um, you know, when you were talking earlier, I think I think this journey, the, the one thing, just to frame this whole conversation, you know, when we're talking about this journey uh, toward God, I think a lot of people uh, get real confused in our culture today because you and I are talking about joy. We're not talking about success. You know, we're not talking about money. Uh, we're, not, we're not talking about that kind of stuff. Joy has mm-hmm. nothing to do with that. It's this, it's this deep sense of fulfillment, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's fleeting. For me, you know, there's this, it, 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 it's almost a nostalgia type of feeling at times. And I really avoid defining joy in the book because it's different for everybody. You know, you just, it's like C.S. Lewis says, you know, you know what it is when you experience it. And mm-hmm. my, my, going back to my friend Cedric, you know, uh, who ran that mission in L.A., um, you know, when you talk about being a nomad, it, it is not your ticket to be the next Bill Gates. You know, it's not your ticket to be the next great public speaker at a relevant conference or whatever that conference <laughs> is where all those guys run around in khakis and polo shirts and talk about God. Right. It's, it's, it's the kind of thing, you know, Cedric had to leave that mission in L.A. He had to make a very tough decision. He wanted to leave the mission and go work in Mexico City. That's where his heart was. But God kind of called him back to Alabama, and he felt a responsibility to care for his mom um, who was dying. And so, you know, he went back, and, and he got to spend his last days caring for his mom um, who died of cancer, and, and Cedric died in a car wreck not just weeks after he buried his mom. Oh, wow. Um, I know, and so you know, you hold that up, and you're like, um, so that's what being a nomad's going to get me. And, and you know, the, the holy nomad, you know, carry a cross. Um, and so it's, 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 not about, it's not about success in the way we think about it. It's, it's, it's this sacrifice, you know, but, but, but it's fulfilling, you know. Yeah. Um, so that, that's the journey toward joy. That's kind of what it's about, I guess. Well, and it's it's hard to uh, it's hard to think about the journey as that way. And I, one of my favorite um, singers, Andrew Peterson, has a song that it, it's actually called "World Traveler," and the gist of the song is um, 
you know, he, a lot of his stories, they're very Tolkien-like, you know, and, and uh, he'll he'll kind of tell those type stories through his music. But you actually find that he's singing about being a family man and having a life that involves his, his children and the great adventures that they take together and stuff. And I think about that story you just said about Cedric and his mother, and um, he, he kind of uses the image of world traveler in the song to talk about staying at home. <laughs> and uh, I, I think that's kind of a neat way to maybe put this when we think about this holy nomad. Um, that's that's not kind of how the world gauges things or success or anything like that. Um, but, you know, at the same time, would there be any higher calling than to help someone die well, and especially someone that you love, you know, and I guess if we get back to another, um, you know, pop culture music reference like Death Cab for Cutie, they have that one song that's about a loved one dying, and, and it says, love is watching someone die, and so who's going to watch you die is, the, you know, the question they're asking in that song, and um, I just, it's, re I guess all my babbling here is just reminding me that the kingdom of God really is kind of this upside-down kingdom from what the world looks at and, and even things that we would say are joyful. You know, sometimes the joy comes from that great grief, you know, that we have to endure. But it's, but love is, is the higher calling, and love is actually the source of, of truer joy than we would know in anything else. Um, um, I love John Foreman saying love is the only arc. I think it's just a great line. But you were talking, and, you know, whenever you write a book, it's out there. Like, and, and, and as a writer, you're like, man, I need to go back and change this. Well, you know what, man, <laughs> it's too late. And you're talking, and, and as you were talking and talking about Cedric, I, I, I think it is, there is not a more spiritually nomadic person to me than Henry Nowen yeah. and what he devoted his life to, you know, um, um, it, you know, caring, caring for those people. Um, and, and wow, so I, yeah. I was just thinking about that as you were talking. Oh yeah, who who literally left his? Well, it was Notre Dame, right, where Henry Nowen was teaching at, kind of a prestigious yeah. position, and then went to the Layard Daybreak community up in Canada to work with mentally handicapped people. And uh, that's that's a pretty powerful testament, you know, to this holy nomad idea. So, I wish I could go write them in the book. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> it's a little too late. <laughs> Uh, well, I, I want to talk about another thing that's very interesting. Um, I, I loved how you put this, and I didn't really think of it this way before about how this is glue to our relationships. But since we're talking about relationships, and you mentioned Cedric and his mother and, and what it means for a nomad to not actually shirk responsibility, but actually to step up to it. And um, when we're talking about relationships, you actually say in the book that questions are like oxygen to our relationships, that they actually keep us alive and keep us going. Um, and, and talk a little bit about that, because I, until you had mentioned it, I, I think I knew this, but I never had really thought of it in that terms before about our, our questioning each other actually being our oxygen. Yeah, not, not not only that, you know, I, I'm I'm really and, and and I really spent a lot of time talking about the the, the truth that you know through throughout the biblical narrative at least, I mean the, the the nomads that I point to in the Bible, their their journeys are fueled by the questions that they're willing to ask God. Um, you know, their relationships are only as deep as 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 you know the I I, I guess what I say is is that you know you can measure the depth of someone's relationship oftentimes by by the the depth of the questions. That yeah. they're they're willing to ask each other and the veracity of it and you know I've got a I've got a teenager in my house right now um, 
which which is awesome because he's always challenging um, the way I think about faith. Children often do that, and, mm. and I, you know, we were riding in the car, and, and uh, uh, it was after the the, the the terrible earthquakes in Japan, and, and he asked the question, "How can God let all those people die?" You know, and and he's at school, and they're talking about different, you know, how the world began, and he's asking these questions, and 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 you know, I think you and I grew up at a time in religious culture where questions were kind of discouraged. Yeah. You know, we we were kind of taught, hey man, you know, this 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 uh this book that we were given, it's all the answers and it's black and white. But when you really look through that book, I mean, um, Job had a lot of questions God didn't quite answer the way yeah. I'm sure Job would have wanted to. And in fact, I. I think Jesus uh, Jesus probably asked the most powerful question in the Bible when he's like, "Dad, where are you?" You know, and 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 I know in my own life, uh, you know, one of the things that you learn um, as a married person and with your children, um, you know, the more questions you ask, that curiosity. I think I'm talking about that sense of curiosity about each other, uh, you know, and and it it really begins with 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 the basic ones like, "How was your day?" Um, and 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 you know, I find the, the more the, the more we get into social media and the more we have faces in our phones, the less we're, we're inquisitive and curious about one another and the, and, and the more dead our relationships can become. But, but God is the same way. And, and you know, I, I think you and I talked a little bit last time. I think I, the, the, the older that I grow in, in the faith, I, I guess the more that, that I meet people who I admire in the faith who are much older than me and have this wisdom and this grace and this openness about them um, that really resembles Jesus, um, they are people that are unafraid um, to ask God the tough questions. If you go back to the Psalms, I mean, there's 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 some questions in there and, and some conversation that that would peel the paint off the walls in yeah. a church setting that, that, that you would shudder to hear asked or or, or things said for, from the pulpit. But um, God is not afraid of that. Um, and, and, you know, I, I really do, I think, that, you know, the lifeblood of our relationships. And, and some of it, it comes from growing – I grew up with educators, man. You know, so it, it, every evening, um, you know, educators believe that a healthy classroom is full of questions. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so I guess I was protected a little bit from our, the religious side of, of, of my upbringing by these educator parents who, who you know, they, they always encourage – our questions about God, um, and they encourage questions about the world and each other. But part of that is being nomadic. I mean, you know, if, if you're living if you're living outside that cell, life is interesting. You know what I mean? Mm. And, and and you're curious about the world. Um, so definitely. Well, you know what? We're actually starting to run a little bit low on time, so I want to ask you just a couple more things. And one thing that I really enjoyed um, is how you point out. Um, really, I think it, we could maybe sum up all this, this whole idea of leaving your cell and becoming the holy nomad is actually about becoming truthful. And, uh, you know, as as my pastor says, a lot of times agreeing with God about who we are, you know, both the good and the bad and the ugly. And uh, you kind of mentioned in, in parts of your book about um, that our society tends to think it's more important to be accepted than to be truthful. And you just mentioned social media just a moment ago, and uh, and you kind of tested that a little bit and had a little fun, I believe, with uh, one of your family members and kind of created this Facebook persona named Ronaldo. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, my 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 uh, my buddy John, my cousin, we were sitting around my aunt's farm and we were we were joking about you know we were joking about our friends on Facebook because I don't know about you but I have friends on Facebook that just manage the most amazing Facebook uh, feats you know and and, and <laughs> truthful and fun um, but but we were talking about we were talking about the hint of insincerity that, that goes on in that and, and we were laughing about this character we made this character Ronaldo. 
um, and we were going to try to pass him off to our Facebook friends, you know, and, and he would, you know, he would speak at the president's prayer breakfast or, or, or parachute into a third world country with, uh, 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 with Franklin Graham or, you know, you know, uh, run with the bulls. And, and, you know, I think I ended it, uh, you know, he, he, he doesn't always, uh, he doesn't always drink beer, but when he does, he drinks Dos Equis, you know, I mean, that kind of, <laughs> this kind of like larger than life character, right. like they do in that commercial, which makes me laugh. Um, <laughs> but, but, you know, I, I think the thing, I think that, 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 that we are becoming, our digital personas have kind of taken on the same veneer that maybe 30 years ago, you know, I, 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 I it, it has given us, a, it, it has given us, a, a, I guess, a thicker veneer. Um, it's distanced us from people, you know. Um, I, sometimes I, I sometimes I just think, you know, my Facebook friends are my acquaintances, but but real friendship is 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 flesh and blood, face to face, and real honesty. And and you know, I laugh about the fact that if I get into a fight with my wife, I don't post that on Facebook. You right. know, um, you don't you don't you don't post the picture on Facebook of 20 years ago when you had a mullet, you know, or <laughs> you know, if you gain 40 pounds, you're not taking a bunch of pictures and putting it on Facebook. You know? Right. It, it really is. It is our false self. You know, Brandon Manning talks about how 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 dangerous that false self is, and 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 really, you know, when I was writing about that, I was probably the the, the the toughest part of the book for me to write was was this truth that we cannot travel alone, that we really do need each other. Um, and, and you and I talked about that beautiful. There's a beautiful book by Reuben Welch, who was a professor at Point Loma, called "We Really Do Need Each Other." And, mm-hmm. and you know, I read through that a little bit as I was writing this, but this idea that we are so dependent on people when we are out there on the trail pursuing the holy nomad away from the cell. You know, we need people um, to tell us, you know, how to navigate the trail ahead. Uh, we need to be there for people who are a little bit behind us, you know. And, and, and I talk about how important it is for us to be transparent with each other so that other people can come around and help us, you know. And that was part of it that was difficult for me because I, I think it's difficult for everybody um, and also this idea that, you know, you're, our community, our community of faith, it's also people that maybe we don't like so much, you know. Um, I, I think one thing throughout the Bible that, that, that's very interesting is, is, you know, God offers his presence above all else, you know, just being with somebody. And, and more and more in culture, you know, when, when I go out with my friends from work or, or when I go out with any of my friends, our faces are in our phones. You know, mm-hmm. we, we are so wrapped up with social media that, that there is – and, and I just I think there is nothing holy about that kind of interaction. We have to offer people our presence, and that's part of being spiritually nomadic. And I talk a little bit about that in Holy Nomad. Yeah. Well, it's kind of funny you mentioned that, and my sister Tony um, listens to this podcast quite often, so she might get a kick about hearing her name right now. But uh, it's we have a joke kind of around my family at holidays and Christmas time and stuff. Um, because she she keeps us honest because it seems like she takes pictures of everything and up on Facebook we we always joke with her that our very worst pictures and our worst moments she's captured it and put it up on Facebook for us you know on her wall and uh, we we always say you know one day if we all have the flu at some family gathering you're gonna get a, a picture of us all being sick together you know and it's gonna go look at these happy times but it's funny you mentioned that because you know in reality. Um, if we're
we're not living the truth, it seems like somebody else is going to poke through that veneer and be like, you know, you're not really this, <laughs> you're not really this rugged mountain man you're claiming to be, you know, <laughs> whatever. Well, and this isn't, you know, it's, it's it's an age-old problem, you know. I mean, Jesus calls out the Pharisees. He calls out the religious folks about this. He's like, hey, you, you know, you dress the right way and you pray the right way and you do this, but on the inside, you're you're ugly, you know. Um, and so I, I think you know the social media and this digital persona—it's just given us an easier way to do it, you know. Yeah. I mean, because unless we have a sister like yours, we can, we can, <laughs> you know, we can click and post, and gosh, you know, it, it, the, the the truth kind of gets lost in that conversation. Yeah. So it's funny to think about. I I always laugh about um, the idea of Jesus posting on Facebook, you know, <laughs> like when he throws the demons into the pigs. You know what would he have said? I mean, that's a heck of a Facebook post. You know. What yeah, I, mean? I know. <laughs> um, or, or or Lazarus would, you know, the, the, Lazarus was dead. Now he's not. I mean, exactly. I, I would have loved to have been his social media kind of kind of guru or consultant. <laughs> That'd be cool. You no. Know? He they wouldn't have known what to do with Twitter because there wouldn't have been enough letters to be able to put it all in. So. I know. I know. <laughs> well, let me just talk to you about one last thing, and then I'm probably going to have to to get off the line here for today. And I, again, I appreciate you redoing this conversation with me today. But one thing that I really love about your book, and it, it maybe was the most meaningful part to me of uh, what I read, was um, you talk about how holy nomads are not defined by their spiritual failures. And I think that that maybe is one of the obstacles to us being true and us being genuine and real and, and kind of uh, being something beyond what we show on Facebook. Can you maybe talk a little bit about that to us? Because it was just so powerful for me to be able to hear that from someone else too and just to be reminded that our spiritual failures don't have to define us. Yeah, and and let me say one thing real quick. You know, I I start the book talking about the fact that, you know, we can roll along with life pursuing all these meaningless things, um, and we can keep ourselves busy enough to do that, and and we can live joylessly, but but, but life brings us crashes. Um, And I talk about, you know, my grandmother's antique mirror crashing on on a truck bed as we moved, and, and as a metaphor for this crash in my life where, um, you know, my wife and I lost uh, uh, several close fam- family members in just a small handful of years. You know, my dad, my little sister, and, and, and who, who was pregnant at the time, uh, her mother, and, and just went through a series of personal tragedies like that. And, and we were making decisions about our lives, uh, you know, and our careers that maybe, you know, weren't, weren't as fulfilling as we thought. Um, and, and, and I go back to that crash moment because that is the natural condition. The human condition is going to bring crashes. God doesn't bring crashes. They just happen naturally. And sometimes it's our own failures, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I compare it to a car crash because, you know, Rick, if you've ever been in a car crash, there's just this eerie moment of silence where everything in the world seems to slow down and become very clear to you. Um, and, and I think those are important moments. And, you know, I talk about, you know, the, I talk about it the first time Mother Teresa saw, you know, the poor in Calcutta or St. Francis seeing the leper walking toward him. Those were probably crash moments for those people, you know. Mm. Uh, uh, Peter denying Christ three times, uh, the Tower of Babel falling back. So the, the biblical narrative is full of nomads who experience these crashes. But I think it's very important when you talk about failure because we do bring these things on ourselves. You know, I mean, we make bad relationship choices because we're pursuing the wrong things. We make bad financial choices because we're pursuing this life of consumers, and we think, and, and, and it, it's going to come down on your head. I mean, listen to Dave Ramsey, you know. Yeah. Um, um, and so, it, no matter what that failure is, I think the thing that we miss, you know, when we experience that failure, 
you know, sometimes when we experience that crash and that failure, we use it as an excuse to go back to ourselves. You know, I mean, we go back to the things that we find safe and secure. Um, and God is definitely not safe. You know, and, and I talk about, you know, Jesus, as he moves, as he travels around and he he heals people, we always focus on the fact that, you know, he tells the, the, the woman at the well, you know, go and sin no more, you know. And and growing up, I always I always heard the sin no more, you know. Yeah. And that's tough, man, because uh, that's not always going to happen the right, right way, you know. Sin is kind of a reality of our condition, and it shouldn't keep us from moving forward. I think the, the, the part of that command that we miss out on, because it's, it's a dual command. He's also saying go, move yeah. past this. You know what I mean? And 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 I don't know. I know I've had plenty of times in my life where you know it, it was it was one of those self-made crashes that we call sin, and and I yeah. just wanted to go back to the cell. And 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 I just I missed that part of Jesus's command. You know, go. Um, but the truth is, you know, the, the the greatest saints are the ones that 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 don't allow that failure, that 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 personal sin to you know, to destroy them. They don't allow that to take them back to the cell, you know. Um, you know, I think of Brennan Manning who, you know, he just brought he just brought his uh his autobiography out uh last fall. Um, and I think it's a beautiful book. Everybody should read it. It's called All His Grace. Um and he really comes clean about his lifelong struggle with alcoholism and, mm-hmm. and I think you and I might have both seen him at Treveca um, but but even during that time period in the 90s when he was out preaching, he was really struggling with alcoholism and some nights going back to his hotel and drinking. But, but but you know, it, it just kind of woke me up to the fact that he was still out there trying to move forward doing God's work, and that's what mm-hmm. Jesus called us to do. Yeah. Um, he needed to move forward, so... Well, and you mentioned the go part of the commandment, and I, I and I like you. I think I always just heard now now go sin no more, and it can be very um, it can almost make you give up if you are having failings and struggles. But it's also important, I think, to remember just before that when Jesus you know asked the woman caught in adultery and says, "Where are your accusers?" and she says, "They're not here. You know, they're gone." And Jesus says, "Well, neither do I condemn you." And um, I, I find it very interesting that uh, in, in my time with a Christian counselor when I was going through my, my very painful divorce a few years back from my first marriage and just kind of didn't know how to pick up the pieces, uh, my counselor reminded me, said, you know, um, let this whole situation be a reminder that God doesn't condemn us, but we actually condemn him away. And he said the meaning of the word condemn is actually to, to keep someone away, to push them out. And uh, to say that actually we are the ones that often are our worst enemy as far as, you know, God wants to come to us and make us whole and forgive. And we sometimes can't forgive ourselves and we end up condemning him away, pushing him away. And uh, and, and when he actually gives us that permission to say go and sin no more and and that he's actually going to be there every step of the way helping us with both of those things so thank well, and it's, it's part, yeah. you know it's part of it's part of that cell condition being wrapped up with our own image and, and and reputation a lot of times you know being so focused on that that we're not concerned with following i i, I was thinking about uh karen burkers from over the Rhine sings this great line all my favorite people are broken something like yeah. that and isn't it isn't it true that that you know the the older people that that I meet in the faith um that I really admire um they usually you know when you've known them long enough you come to learn that they went through some kind of serious crash moment you know yeah. and, and and they just carry this grace and understanding about them that that that's just uh uh 
you know, it's magnetic. I mean, you're drawn to it. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think it's unfortunately we don't, we don't, we don't treat our sinners like that all the time, you know. Um, but, but, but I think it's, it's, a beautiful, it's a beautiful part of the learning experience and the journey experience. And, you know, I say in the book, I hate board games like Monopoly that send you, you know, back to jail or back to square one. I can't play them. And, and, and part of it is, you know, in our spiritual lives, if we're truly going to be spiritually nomadic, we can't view life as, you know, hey, I messed up, I sinned, now back to the cell, back to square one. Yeah. Um, it just doesn't work like that. God doesn't work like that. So I think it's more along the lines of, you know, if we're really out there pursuing the holy, this holy nomadic character in Jesus, you know, we fall down and he helps us back up and says, hey, let's move along. we got a couple more miles to go, you know. Definitely. Well, the uh, the book we've been discussing today, listeners, is Holy Nomad, The Rugged Road to Joy. The author is Matt Litton, who has been my guest today, and you spell his last name L-I-T-T-O-N. You can find out more about it and even get yourself a copy over at mattlitton.com, and uh, you can get it on all the major uh, book distributors um, at, at uh, things like Amazon, Barnes & Noble, places like that. You name it. They're going to be carrying it. And uh, I really want to encourage everybody to read it. It's a very good read. And check out his other book as well, which I have not had a chance to read yet. But as soon as I get the opportunity, it's Mockingbird Parables and parables based off of uh, off of the book uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. Isn't it? am I correct with that? Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's 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 a fun book. It's 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 kind of the the spiritual lessons that you can take. You know, I heard a teacher one time say that To Kill a Mockingbird was his, was his classroom Bible. And I think a lot of people who work in education, whether they get the college level or the high school level, feel like that. Um, and so I kind of had it's it's I kind of had fun with that and, and and took some characters and some of the some of the the drama and some of the scenes in To Kill a Mockingbird and and, and kind of share the lessons that that I the spiritual lessons that I learned um, from reading that book. So. Awesome. Well, Matt Litton, thank you for being the voice in my head this week on this podcast. Rick, I had a good time. It was good hanging out with you, man same here you've been listening to voices in my head the official podcast of rick lee james if you'd like to know more about me my ministry my music my life go to my website at rickleejames.com you can also download my free mobile app from itunes and on the android marketplace and i'd love this to be a community experience so if you call 937-505-0162 you can leave feedback you can give me suggestions for future shows. You can even record comments that I can play on the next podcast. So let's make this something really great together. 937-505-0162. Thank you so much for listening to Voices in My Head, the official Rick Lee James podcast. God bless.